What's up, Red Rocks Church? You guys are awesome. I love you all. I really do. I promise you. Hey, it's going to be an awesome weekend of church. I'm not even going to ask you if you agree because I just already know in my heart and my mind having an awesome weekend of church. It will not be awesome, though, if we do not say hi to everyone at our campuses at Arvada and Lakewood and Golden. My goodness, we have second to the last service that we're ever going to have at Heritage Square. And so this is uh, actually my last time this weekend in our 11-year history to get to preach in Golden at Heritage Square. And so this is just going to be a really special, at least for me. You may not like it. I'm going to have an awesome time this weekend getting to preach my last sermon ever at Golden. So Golden, we say hello to you uh, as well. And can we give it up for all of the amazing men and women at God Behind Bars? We love you, ladies and gentlemen. Such an honor. Such an honor that we get to do church with you every weekend. Last people I want to say hi to and, and, and honor while we're here is at all of our campuses, if you're visiting with us, I, I just on behalf of our whole staff want to let you know how grateful we are. In America, you have the freedom to choose if you go to church and choose where and when you go to church. And so when you come to Red Rocks Church and visit with us, it is an honor that we do not take lightly. And so our prayer all the time is that no matter what you walk into one of our campuses with as a visitor, wherever you land on the spectrum of faith or lack of faith, you may be an atheist, you may be a Christian for the last 45 years. What we pray for you guys as our visitors is that while you're at one of our campuses, that you would feel the tangible, felt, beautiful, loving presence of God, that you would walk out of these doors better than you walked in. And so if you're visiting with us at any of our campuses, I just want to behalf, on behalf of all of our staff, just greet you and say welcome. I also want to catch you up. We're in the last week of this series that we've titled Heritage. Our first campus ever started 11 years ago with 18 people and a dream, right? It's so dramatic. 18 people uh, 11 years ago at Heritage Square in the back of this really obscure theme park. If you're a Denver native, you're at least familiar with the creepy theme park, Heritage Square in Golden, Colorado. And uh, last year we got noticed that they weren't going to renew our lease because they don't believe in Jesus. And so, no, I'm just kidding. They, they're awesome people. I just got to get that in there every time. Awesome people. And so, uh, next week on Easter Sunday uh, will be our last Sunday there. And so we decided leading up to Easter, we would spend four weeks talking about life lessons from the square. Talking and looking at, okay, over the last 11 years, what are some of the most dominant themes that God has shown us about his character and about his nature? Whatever those are, we're going to preach about those things. And so here's my goal, just so you know, because this was like, okay, this is my last time to ever preach at Heritage Square. I knew that. This weekend, and I, and I knew that this would be a big message of, of 11 years. If I could sum it up into one thing, what would that be? And then I even took it a step further and said, if I could sum up my 11 years at Heritage Square and all that I've learned and all that God's shown me, what's one word and whatever that is, that's what I'm going to preach about. And so this is going to be a huge shocker to you guys, what I'm about to preach on this weekend. But here it is in one word. You guys ready for this? Because my goal is that I say this word over a hundred times before this message is over. You ready for the one word? Jesus. Jesus. That's all I could boil it down to. If we have an accountant in, in the house or at any of our campuses, would you please count? Because I plan on saying Jesus's name over a hundred times because Red Rocks Church, may we never forget that the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower 
and the righteous find safety and safe haven in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that there is one name under heaven with which men and women can be saved. Only one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. You know that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ has the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee someday and every tongue, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ really is and was and always will be Lord of all. We're all either on this side of eternity or on the other side at the at the throne of God's judgment, we're going to look at Jesus face to face and we're all going to have that moment, whether you know it now or whether you know it later, where you're going to be like, oh my word, Jesus really was the author and the creator of this thing called earth and this thing called humanity. Colossians 1 says that he was before all things and that in him all things hold together, that Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. Preeminent means he's dominant. He's not part of creation. He's the creator himself. This is Jesus Christ. And so I thought of all the things, I don't know if my content will be good this weekend or if it'll be bad, but I do know this. I'm just going to keep saying the name of Jesus because the only reason that this church has stood for 11 years and continued to move forward isn't because of all the amenities we have now. It's not because of all the great things and buildings and people that God's blessed us with. The only reason that Heritage Square continues to move forward is because of the name and the person of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for the message this weekend? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in these next few minutes that we have at all of our campuses that God, your presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us would be so alive and so awakened. God, I pray that your son Jesus in these next few minutes would be so magnified and glorified in our hearts and our minds that our only response is to be with you and to worship you and to stand in awe of you and sing to you, God. I pray that this would happen this weekend. And God, I thank you for your son Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you took what I deserved and gave me what you deserve. May I never get old and tired of that. Jesus, we love you and pray that you would sit enthroned, glorified as we begin to look at your name through the word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to talk through this story about the person Jesus. Just to give you a little backdrop, if you're new to the scriptures, there's a couple of guys named Peter and John. And these guys were just beautiful troublemakers for the kingdom of God. Everywhere they went, they were speaking the name and preaching the name of Jesus so much as the inception of the early church was getting started that they kept finding themselves in trouble. Sometimes in prison and oftentimes in court. And we're about to read one of those moments where they got sent back to court and now they're standing before the highest court in the Jewish culture, which is called the Sanhedrin. And they're not just talking to one of the officials. Now they've gotten themselves in so much trouble. They're actually talking to the chief official. Here's what we read in Acts 5. The apostles were brought in, Peter and John and the rest of the guys, and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the big dog, the high priest. The high priest said this, Red Rocks, he said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He can't even say it, right? I'm going to say it because I'm getting 100 in. Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's, and I'll say it again, Jesus's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Here he goes. Whom you killed hanging him on a cross. Nice for subtlety, Peter. 
He says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that Jesus might bring Israel to repentance and forgive, forgive their sins. We are the witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When we heard this, they were furious. I get that and wanted to put them to death. And here's where it gets awesome. Because, see, the Pharisees always get a bad rap, right? And pastors are mostly responsible for that. Well, the Pharisees were. Jesus had a lot of difficult things to say about the Pharisees of the day. But there was some really God-honoring, God-fearing ones in the group. We're about to read about one of those. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. He said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theatus appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. Gamaliel says this, he says, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, we want to talk about some great advice, leave these men alone, let them go. And, and here's why. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. It goes on to say, his speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. They called him back in, beat the snot out of him, said, quit speaking about Jesus. Now get out of here. Right. It's like crazy. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news, Jesus that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want us to stop and I want us to camp on that one thing that Gamaliel said. Gamaliel, I can never pronounce his name. I apologize. He said, for if their purpose is of, or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But listen, Red Rocks, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God himself. Now, here's the beauty of a story like this is we now have 2,000 years of retrospect to look back and see the wisdom in what this Pharisee said. We have 2,000 years of seeing the literal thumbprint and effect that Jesus Christ has had on planet Earth. In the 1920s, there was this Russian atheist by the name of Emelian Yarlovsky, and Russians have interesting names. But anyways, he started this group of atheists that formed, and their whole goal was to literally wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And that movement died out really quick. And the reason was, is he grew so tired and frustrated by what he said, quote unquote, the stubbornness of the Christian faith. And then he gave us this famous quote. He said, Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. 2000 years after Jesus has died, here's what we know about this man, Jesus, who we come here to serve and to worship and to talk about and to think about. Here's what we know. He is unequivocally the most familiar figure and has had the single, whether you believe in him or not, you cannot argue with integrity that this man has not had the single most profound effect on planet Earth by a huge margin compared to the next person, right? 
And here's what's crazy to me about our Christian history. It all started with God becoming a baby. Blows my mind. God's the creator of all this. Jesus could have easily just levitated down to earth or whatever they would do from heaven to earth. And he could have came as a grown up. He could have came as a spirit. He could have came however he wanted to and sat smack dab on a throne in the middle of Jerusalem. And with the spoken word called down legions of angels to just instantly take out this oppressive empire called Rome. And it could have been done and solved. And he could have redeemed his Jewish people back to him and back to planet earth in a spoken word. But Jesus decided to come as a baby to experience everything that you and I experience so when he would die for us and when he would give us that great exchange his blood for our blood his salvation for our sin he could look at us with total integrity and say not only do I save you but I fully understand what I'm saving you from because I have been there and I have done that Here's what blows my mind. He didn't just come uh, as a baby, but for 30 of his 33 and a half years on planet Earth, he lived in obscurity next to nobody except in his little circle in a small little backwoods town called Nazareth knew of this guy. And he's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. Nobody hardly knew him. And then he goes public and he puts about 12 key people in his life around him called the disciples. And then eventually he gets hung on a cross and he gets killed for the sins of the world and then buried for three days. And then three days later, do you know what he does? He conquers death on our behalf. Quick side note and commercial. Do you know what next week is? Yeah, it's like the Super Bowl for for our faith. It's everything. The Apostle Paul said that if Jesus didn't conquer death, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we, we need to quit having church. It's in vain. It's silly what we do right here if Jesus really hasn't risen from the dead. And next week, I just got to ask you, hey, who are you bringing? Who are you praying for? Who are you invite? Invite one, invite 10, invite 50, because next week we are going to celebrate the single greatest news on planet Earth. All right, back to the message. After he raises from the dead and ascends to heaven, there's about 120 really serious disciples and followers, and they go where Jesus told them to go in Jerusalem, and they just do what he says to do, which is pray. All great God things start with prayer. Nothing else, side note, rabbit trail. Nothing else in the kingdom of God has ever happened on any type of grand level apart from a prayer meeting. You understand that? It's the least talked about, least sexy thing in all of Christianity. And it is by far the most powerful thing you'll ever do as an individual and will ever do as a church is pray in the name of Jesus. So they pray and they wait. And the Bible says they were filled with power from on high through the Holy Spirit. And the next thing they do is they go out and Peter with 120 people behind him starts to preach the most politically incorrect message. You can read it in Acts 3. It's awesome. Most politically incorrect message I've ever heard. And it's straight gospel. And you think it would have caused a revolt and everyone would have thrown rocks at him and left. 3,000 people that day got saved and baptized. In Acts chapter 4, just a little bit uh, down the road, historically, there was another day where 4,000 people upon hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is gone, by the way. He's back up in heaven. 4,000 people in one day give their life to Jesus Christ. And when you listen to people in modern times talk about the church and talk about Christianity, they talk as if it's flailing. They talk as if the church is in disarray. They talk as if the church is barely hanging on or we're, we're, we're gasping for air and breathing our last breath. Can I tell you that couldn't be further from the truth? 
Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot get in the way. One thing you can know for sure about life is that Jesus' church is going to continue to grow and it is going to continue to move forward. In 100 AD, about 65 years after Jesus went to the cross for our sins, there was 181 million people on earth. 65 years after Jesus, out of those 181 million, about 500,000 claimed to be born-again Christians at that time. Let me give you a ratio. That meant for every 360 people on planet Earth in 100 AD, one of those 360 would raise their hand and said, I'm a believer in Christ. That's how it got started. In a fa- fast forward 900 years to 1000 AD, now there was 270 million people on Earth, and now there, it had doubled. There was 1 million people. Who would raise their hand and say, I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. So the ratio went from 360 to every 269 people. There was one person who said, I'm a believer in in, in Christ. In 1500, 500 years later, there was now 425 million people on planet Earth. And now the ratio was down to one out of every 84 people on planet Earth would raise their hand and say, I'm a believer in this person, Jesus Christ. By 1900, 116 years ago, Red Rocks, there was 1.6 billion people on earth and there were now 40 million people who would raise their hand and say, I am a born again believer in Jesus Christ. And now the ratio was down 40 to one. One out of every 40 people 116 years ago on planet earth would raise their hand and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Fast forward to 1950. Now all of a sudden there's 2.5 billion people on the globe and the ratio is now 30 to 1. For every 30 people on earth, one would say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Now let's go 30 years. Man, 2 billion more people were on earth from 1950. Barry White was putting out albums. I get it, all right? Now in 1980, 30 years later, there was 4.5 billion people on the globe and now one out of every 15 people would raise their hand and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is getting further and historically further and further away from us, and yet the results are doing the opposite. More and more and more. In 1995, 5.2 billion people, and now the ratio was one out of every nine pers- people on earth would, would raise their hand and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Then you go 26 years down the road from 1990, and now one out of every three and a half people around the globe would raise their hand and say, I am a believer, I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. There are 80,000 people a day they are estimating that are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. There is currently 510 churches globally every day that are starting just like we got started 11 years ago. They're projecting that by 2020 on the continent of Africa alone, 49.3% of the population according to the growth of Christianity right now is going to be saved. 630 million people are going to be saved by the year 2020, four years from now. That's half the continent of Africa. That's one out of every two people. The population Christianity-wise in Asia is growing twice as fast as the human population in Asia. And do you see how fast the human population in Asia grows? The, the, the Christian population has doubled since 1970 to 2010, they're telling us. And here's my favorite stat of all of them. I saved the best uh, that I think for last. More Muslims in the last 14 years since 9-11 have given their life to Jesus 
than in the 14 centuries combined in the, in the history of Islam before that. Can you believe that? I mean, even in Syria right now, Syria is in disarray. We've seen the refugee crisis going on in Syria. And right now there is a movement of salvation amongst the Syrian people like never before. See, the, the, the more uh, you try and mess with Christianity, the stronger it gets. It's like a nail. The harder you hit at it, the deeper it goes. And we are seeing that. It is not dead. What blows my Almost every or- orphanage, if you do the sociological study, will be traced back historically to Christianity and this person, Jesus Christ. Orphanages got started because of one man named Jesus. If you do the history of hospitals and the inception of the history of hospitals, it's traced back to Christianity and Jesus Christ. Some of the most preeminent universities on planet Earth, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Cambridge. Do you know what they all started as as universities? They all started as seminaries teaching people about this man, Jesus Christ. He is the name above every name. And here's what blows my mind. He never wrote a book. Jesus never got married. Jesus never ran for political office. Jesus never traveled farther than 100 square miles any, in any direction from his hometown. And yet 2,000 years later, let, let's just bring it to Chad Brugman. I was born and raised in a city in, Cal, in California called Santa Cruz. Thousands and thousands of miles from Nazareth. And 2,000 years removed. And just the city that I grew up in is called Santa Cruz. Do you know what that means? It means city of the cross. The whole inception of this city that I was born and raised in, hundreds of years before I would ever be there, all centered around this thing called the cross that this man Jesus got up on and apparently paid for the sins of the world. Right up the road from where I grew up in Santa Cruz is a city a little bit north called San Francisco, which means St. Francisco. And if you study St. Francisco, he was just this man dedicated to going up the coast of California and starting missions in the name of Jesus to preach the gospel and show people the love of Christ. And he ended up having a city called San Francisco named after him. You may have heard it. Why? He was just a guy 2,000 years removed trying to preach about this man, Jesus, who's long gone. There's a city just to the right of San Francisco. It's arguably one of the most powerful cities on planet Earth because it's the capital of California. And I think we forget this sometimes, but California is in the top 10 worldwide, not not as far as America is concerned, worldwide when it comes to the GDP, their budget. It's top 10 globally. And the city where all of that budgeting takes place is called Sacramento. Do you know what Sacramento means? City of the sacrament. You know what the sacrament was? Jesus' last meal. 2,000 years later, one of the most important cities on the landscape of planet Earth was named after a meal Jesus had. Who is this guy, right? Jesus didn't force this on anyone. All of the great leaders of the day, the Julius Caesars, the Alexander the Greats, the Neros, all of them, forced people to name cities after them. Jesus never asked for one of that. And yet nobody's had more cities named after him. No one's had like millions of people on planet earth, Red Rocks Church, give their kids, give their sons names like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, David, Abraham, Timothy, Paul. Do you know what, do you know what we use for names like Nero and Caesar? Casinos and pizza parlors and dogs. The most powerful men on planet earth when Jesus was alive. 
The biggest players on planet earth are just footnotes in the life of Jesus now. You understand that historically? The biggest contribution these guys I just mentioned have to the historical landscape that we now know in 2,000 years of retrospect is, oh, they happened to be alive when this guy Jesus was. And yet everyone knew them. And few people knew Jesus. You cannot tell me he is not the name above every name. You cannot tell me that there is only one name under heaven with which men might be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. You wonder why we get so passionate about Jesus when he says he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Listen, that's going to cause people that come through our doors to be upset. That's going to frustrate people. That's going to make people angry. But listen to me. If we really believe that this man Jesus really is the invisible, the visible image of an invisible God who came to earth to pay for our sins and show us what God looks like and how much God loves us, we have a responsibility to do nothing more in our heritage than continually and unapologetically preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody that comes through these doors. That's what we're called to do. That is our heritage. Our job is to not make everyone happy with us or okay with us. Our job is to preach the name of Jesus and watch what it does because his church is going to advance, he says, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So the question is, what's that have to do with us 2016 and our heritage? And I, would, I simply want to end with, with this thought about this person, Jesus. Everything in our human nature is prone, as awesome as Jesus is, as much evidence that 2,000 years of retrospect has given us about the deity of Jesus Christ and the profound effect that he's had on planet Earth, where you'd, you'd have to be crazy to not think that he, he might not just be the Savior of the world, right? When you look at his effect, it's unparalleled. But in 2016, we are still, because of our human nature, that is warring against our spiritual nature, we are still so prone to get away from what matters most, right? And, and what I wanted to say to end this series is 11 years ago, this church got started, and I know you've heard it, but you're probably sick of the war stories because most of you weren't there, but, but I'm gonna say it one more time. This church got started with 18 people and the name of Jesus, and we literally had nothing else. We were the, what I call the dumb and dumber church. We have no jobs, no food. Our pets' heads are falling off, right? We're that church. We, we, we didn't have paychecks. We didn't have insurance. We didn't have anyone to clean the church. Every, every, this is one of my most precious memories. I, it wasn't precious at the time. It's precious now that I look back on it because I now know what God was up to. Retrospect's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But every Saturday, Todd and Sean and BZ and my brother and myself would show up to the church, that little tiny youth center now in the back of Heritage Square, and we would start scrubbing toilets and cleaning all the, vacuuming all the dead box elder bugs out of the windows. Sorry. We would vacuum. And I had grew up hating house cleaning. And can I tell you, there was a sense of joy every Saturday while we're scrubbing toilets and vacuuming and cleaning up bugs and answering phones. And none of, you know, we, we answered phones back in the day. And I have no, if you called back in the day and you heard Joe's pool hall. This is eight ball. How can I help you? That's my bad. Okay. I, I have no administrative skills. That was me. Okay. But when we did that, it was joyful work because there was an anticipation of, Hey, we're cleaning this because we're excited for what might happen tomorrow when, when people show up and we get to preach the good news of Jesus. 
And so now we get to tell all the interns and all the staff members that come through now that, that we've grown a bit. We get to look at them and say, hey, if you can't clean a toilet, you don't get to preach. Because that's part of the process. Because, because here's the deal, Red Rocks, and I mean this so serious. Now, 11 years later, look how God's blessed us. And now we have so many amenities that we take for granted. Multi-sites, thousands of people every weekend showing up. We do baptism services and not a few hundreds and hundreds of people every time we do baptism services are baptized. We have amazing worship teams at all of our campuses that are writing music and putting out albums. We have a, what a, a swag store now with Red Rocks clothes, right? And by the way, every dime that we make is going to Convoy of Hope Europe because some of you are going to email me, this is now a den of robbers and you shouldn't make God's house. No, no, no. This is for an amazing, don't, please don't email me that. I won't read it. Yeah, I will. And then I'll print it and kick it and be mad. But listen, <laughs> we have so many things right now in the way of amenities that we never had back in the day. And when I look back in retrospect, when I spent three years passionately being a part of Red Rocks Church, when I didn't get paid, I had to work other jobs. Do you know what God was doing in that minute? Because this is a lesson for all of us. God was saying, Chad, if you can do this for free, then someday when you do get paid, money won't cause you to wander from what matters most, which is Jesus. The only thing we started this church on was the name of Jesus. The only thing every weekend we could hang our hat on. The only hook we had was Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. And can I tell you, that is the only thing you need. Now, I don't apologize for the amenities. We're going to use them by God's grace for the glory of God. But we run a great risk, if we are not careful, Red Rocks Church, of getting so used to the, the, the critical mass now that has created victory in this church. Like now when we do things, they just seem to work, right? Because of nothing more than the critical mass. But you can be a large church and forget about Jesus. You understand that? And if we want our heritage to be moving forward and to be going forward, we have to figure out, okay, with all of God's blessing now, how do we keep Jesus at the center? Because there was this church in the New Testament. It was the church of Ephesus. And John uh, is, is on, a, on an island and he's writing this crazy book called Revelation. And it's this vision, this heavenly vision that he gets to write the last book in our Bible. And in the beginning, he starts to, to write the conversation he had with what he calls the angel of the church of God. And this angel starts to talk about seven specific churches and regions where Christianity had taken off. And it starts to speak about all the good things these churches were doing, but also the potential problems these churches were having. And there's this church like Ephesus that, that, that could kind of, in a, in a way, we could kind of be put in their category. Ephesus was the church that was booming and it was moving and it was growing and everything they seemed to touch seemed to be turning to gold and it seemed to be working and they seemed to be doing a lot of noble and good things and they would have been the church that people were calling and going, hey, tell us what you're doing right because you're growing like crazy and it's just gangbusters over there. Tell us what you're doing. And so much of what they're doing was noble and good. It says it in Revelations 2. The, 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 the angel of the Lord starts to list all the good things that the church of Ephesus were doing. But then it gets real sobering. And, and, and an angel of the Lord said this to the church of Ephesus. It says, yet one thing I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. One of the most sobering things that a church could ever hear. It just said, Ephesus, you're crushing it on all. You're doing so many noble and good things that, that are God-ordained. 
and that honor God, but all of it to a large, large degree is in vain if it's not done out of a passionate, personal, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. They were doing a lot of awesome things and those awesome things were working and they were gaining notoriety as that church. And the angel of the Lord in this moment says, you've forsaken your first love. And it says this next, it says, consider how far you've fallen. And I read that and I think, may God, by your grace, may we never please, please, please be that church where we're doing a lot of noble things on paper and a lot of gospel initiatives are going forward at a, at a grand pace and people from the outside are looking and going, what's your secret? How's that working so well? And the whole time, the angel of God's looking down and going, yeah, but you forgot about Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you to do anything for him. He just wants you to be with him. And out of the outflow of being with him, you'll end up doing stuff for him. But we got to remember before sin entered the picture, all he wanted was communion. All he wanted was time with us. That's all he wanted. And now that's all he still wants. Except there's a world that's dying and he says, now in some of the time we're going to commune and spend together, I want to use you, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your resources. I want to use you to help me go out and find those lost sheep and bring them home. But I don't need you to do that. I'm going to do that with or without you. You can see that all over the scripture. The Bible says if we don't cry out and praise God, guess what? The rocks will. God's will is going to go forth. The church is going to succeed with or without us. So the goal isn't, the goal isn't God, what do I have to do? The goal is, God, God, let me be with you. Let me not lose my first love. Let me not, do you remember husband and wives? You might, if you've been married longer than like three or four minutes, you'll forget this. But do you remember how giddy you were when you first started dating your husband or your wife? Ladies, do you remember being nervous while you were putting on makeup? And running the extra mile on the treadmill that day because the new guy was getting ready to come pick you up, take you out on a date and how much you wanted to impress him. Literally, when I when I first started dating Rachel, I was nervous because I was going to take her to get steak. And normally it would be Chili's based on my paycheck at the time. But I had to, you know, dating is 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 being what you're not to try and win them over. So then they're stuck with you when they find out who you really are. Right. That's (laughs) that's what dating is. And so I'm playing that game and I'm like, we're going to have steak and I love me some steak, but steak doesn't love me as much. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to keep this nice. Band, come up and save me. (laughs) And so I knew my stomach for hours after we would have dinner and we were going to talk to get to know each other. I knew my stomach was going to be in disarray, but there was nothing I, you know, I was going to, you know, and so I'm trying to be nice. I learned from my barber when I was much younger that I could take the vent out of my car and I could put in a Glade plug-in. Put, the, put it back on, the vent, and then any time my stomach might have an oopsie, I could just go, man, it's pretty hot in here, isn't it? And turn on the AC, and all of a sudden this glorious smell comes out. <laughs> Red Rocks, I literally did that before, before I started dating Rachel. Like the first time, Sean's told you this before, and I'm not proud of this, but I want to make a point about first love. The first time I went on a date with Rachel, I was so nervous, and I had just learned from one of the girls, I never knew this, that humidity jacks with your hair. And it was in the season of life where like really messy, strategically messy hair was cool for guys, and so I'd spent a lot of time perfectly messing it up. And it was summer, and I got nervous. And so when Rachel, I lived with Sean and Jill at the time, when Rachel came in the door, I walked right past her and I went, hi. 
And I went straight to the kitchen where Sean was at. And I didn't say a word to him. And I opened the freezer and I just stuck my head in it. God and Sean is my witness. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm nervous, man. My hair, is it, how's it, you know, my hair, is it looking good? I messed it up. I spent so much time messing it up and I, I feel like the humidity's, some girl told me the humidity's gonna push it down and I just, you know, and he's like, dude, you're an idiot. Go say hi to the girl you're trying to, like, that was the first love I had, Red Rocks. You guys remember that? And the angel of the Lord says to the church, man, you're gonna have all kinds of reasons over time to justify losing that. Responsible reasons. Well, we've had kids now. I don't, have, I don't have as much time for Jesus anymore. We have a mortgage to pay. We've had a few crises over the years that, that you don't have when you're younger. Because I, I've been watching the youth and the young adults at our church lately. God's, can I, side note, God's doing something special there. Can I just tell you, if, if you're not involved at all in our youth or our young adults, if you don't know anything about that, God is doing something unbelievable right now. And I've been thinking a lot because I'm in that kind of in-between stage of life, right? The midlife stage. And I've been thinking of a lot of reasons why what's happening there is cute, but impractical. Because I go, you know, those kids are precious, but they haven't lived enough life. None of them have had a miscarriage yet. None of them have had their marriage on the line yet. None of them have filed a bankruptcy yet. None of them and then fill in the blank. And, and now we use language, if we're not careful, like now my, my love for God, it's different, but it's more mature. And, and I'm not knocking the fact that, that, that sometimes the depth of our relationship with God can, can, can give us a calm about us. But sometimes I watch these kids worship with just a reckless abandonment and a zeal. And is zeal problematic? Absolutely. Do we do some dumb stuff in the early days of love? Absolutely. And you know what? I think God loves it. Because he knows we're going to learn our lessons. He knows that in the midst of zeal, we're going to do some really dumb and silly things. But you know what? God's been speaking to my heart. Chad, I would rather you err on the side of zeal and stupidity than complacency, but being practical and smooth and mature. I don't ever want you, Chad, to lose your first love. You know what I want to be as a pastor at Red Rocks Church? Pray for me because this is what I want to be. I want to be a pastor that loves Jesus 11 more years in than I did when we had nothing but Jesus. Got all kinds of amenities now. I got all kinds of perks with my job now. But I want to look at you guys every week and I want to say, I love Jesus more now by far than I ever did then. I don't ever want to lose my first love. But it's just like if you're married, it takes work. Come on, husbands and wives, does it not? Care how much you loved each other those first few dates and that first few years. It takes work. Intentional heart work where you wake up and say I am in covenant therefore I'm in love and it doesn't matter how I feel it doesn't matter what I'm going through I'm in covenant and I'm in love and there is nothing like Jesus Jesus at the end of the day is where satisfaction is at and so we're going to do this to end this series we're going to take communion together at all of our campuses we're going to take communion together and we're just gonna honor Jesus. We're just gonna honor Jesus. And for those of you new to communion, say this all the time, I'll say it again. Communion was instituted because of one thing, forgetfulness. 
You don't have to feel bad about that. You don't have to feel condemned about that. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But at the end of the day, Red Rocks Church, we are forgetful people. We just naturally tend to walk away from the things that matter most, Jesus. And he knew that. And he loves us all the same and he forgives us all the same. And he calls us back all the same time after time. And so when he instituted this thing where there's bread and there's wine, he was giving us these tangible pictures and metaphors of the single most important thing in life, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ because of what the implications are. So he said, every time, as often as you do this, do it in what? Remembrance of me. Why? Because we are so prone to wander. David spoke some communion language, and I'm going to end reading this, and that all campuses, we're going to stand, we're going to pass out communion, we're going to sing to our God, and we're going to honor Jesus with our hearts. David said this, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is what communion should look like in our hearts. At all of our campuses in the next few minutes, bless the Lord, O my soul. He says this, I love the passion. David's not a young buck when he's writing this, by the way. He's fighting for first love, Red Rocks Church. He says, all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And listen to this. This is communion language. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth... Remember that passion you had back in the day? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his, uh, known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. Man, this is good news. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, no clue what that means, nor will he keep his anger forever. I just like the sound of it. He does not deal with us, Red Rocks, according to our sins. Most of your Bibles will say this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. We got what Jesus deserved and Jesus came and took what we deserved. That's what we toast to. That's what we drink to when we take communion. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Jesus. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. I love this. This is my next favorite. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I love how he finishes. He gets fired up and I'm fired up. He says, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of dominion. Bless the Lord. And he brings it back to the person in the mirror. He says, bless the Lord, David. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And I'm just asking is we're, we're leaving one season of Red Rocks Church. And as we're walking into a new season, I think a better and bigger season of Red Rocks Church, I'm asking that the last and the first thing that we would do is just bless the Lord.
Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, the forgiver of our sins, the healer of our diseases, the one who crowns you right now, no matter how you feel about you, he crowns you with love and compassion. He's slow to anger, Red Rocks Church. He's abounding in love. Like a father, Red Rocks Church has compassion on his children. Come on, dad, you understand that. He has compassion for you. Doesn't matter what you walked in here with. Doesn't matter the frailty of your life right now. Do you, do you know it said he remembers that we are from dust. He knows and has compassion for the frailty of a sin-stained fallen humanity. That's the God we get to worship, Jesus, who 2,000 years later has left the most amazing, unthinkable mark on planet Earth. That's who we're about to toast in our 11-year ending. That's who we're about to worship and commune with. So at all campuses, if you guys would stand, as we start to sing, the ushers are going to pass out communion at all campuses. And I'm just going to ask that you would hold on to that communion packet until your heart feels ready to honor Jesus for the broken body and for the shed blood. Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes at all of our campuses, I just ask that your presence would be so sweet, God, that you would sit enthroned on the praises of your people. So pleased with what's coming out of our mouths because of what's in our hearts, God. I pray, Jesus, as we look at that juice and as we look at that piece of bread, that we would think about the implications of the cross and what that means for our lives. That Jesus, you would draw every single one of us back to our first love, which is you and Christ, you alone. We bless your name, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's worship.